another edition of the Searchers Podcast. We try to find films that deserve to be seen more often by modern audiences. We cover the very old and we cover the brand spanking new and everything in between. Our mission is to help our listeners comb through the vast expanse that is cinema and have fun doing it. This week, the gang's all here ready for an adventure. I'm your host, Ben, and joining me is Connecticut Christopher. Say hello, man. Hello, everybody. And last but not least is Mr. Chan. No, not Jackie. Say hi, Kevin. Hey, guys. How are you? Oh, that was great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Join us this week as we review the coming-of-age fantasy adventure movie Stardust from 2007, directed by Matthew Vaughn, based off the novel by Neil Gaiman, who I think, Kevin, you probably know pretty well, and starring Charlie Cox, Claire Danes, Michelle Pfeiffer, Mark Strong, Robert De Niro, Jason Fleming, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) A lot of uh, heavy hitters in this one. So, um, Peter O'Toole, Ian McKellen, and a little cameo bit by Henry Cavill, which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, So, what do you guys have to say about this? We'll just jump right into it before I get into the plot, that is. So, yeah. Have you got this? This was both your guys' first time, right? Watching it. First time. Very first time. Yeah. First time. I I don't think I've ever heard of this movie. I oh. I really couldn't tell you if I have. Um so that that was pretty cool when you mentioned that we were going to re- review this one. Didn't really know anything about the cast, anything like that. Um I did look into it before I viewed the movie. I think we all sort of briefly talked about it, so I knew I knew to look out for Claire Danes, Robert De Niro. I don't think I really know Charlie Cox. Um, and I'm somewhat familiar with Matthew Vaughn, the director. So that's, that's really, that's really all my experience with it. What about you, Kevin? Yeah, for me, I do remember Stardust, the trailer consistently on repeat whenever I watched TV back in 2007, I believe. Yeah, that was 2007. Yep. And Ben, when you mentioned Stardust uh, to me, that this would be the last, the, the next movie that we'd be reviewing the first thing that came to mind was that uh that scene of michelle pfeiffer, pfeiffer drop dropping her robe and then looking at the camera and looking going, at her looking at her own ass and be like yeah exactly exactly <laughs> that, like because it, it it replayed every single day on tv every time i saw the trailer for this film really so when you mentioned yeah so every time you mentioned stardust it was like oh okay my mind immediately immediately went to that scene of michelle pfeiffer you just thought of her naked you just thought of her naked Uh, kevin don't basically yeah oh thanks ben i mean you were the catalyst for that (laughs) a plus a plus marketing then a plus marketing yeah that was one way to do it (laughs) to make you recall something from 15 years ago yeah exactly exactly but um even even with all that, I did not uh, I did not see this movie in theaters, and I had never seen this movie at all until uh, well, it took sixteen years before I actually saw it. I can't believe and it's been that long. That's wild. It's been that long. Yeah, uh, I know. But so fucking old. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That's it's the weirdest thing. But I I was really surprised to hear that Charlie Cox was the the lead in this film. And Charlie Cox, I mean, everyone's going to know, I mean, of Daredevil fame, which is probably the best thing that Marvel's ever put out, was Daredevil. Really? But That's anyway... Opi- I didn't yeah. know that was your opinion. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think it is. I mean, I think there's more depth. I need to go back uh, and finish that then. Yeah, there's there more depth and spirituality to that and more relatability to that than I think a lot of... Uh, 
much of what they're putting out now. But anyways, yeah, Charlie Cox was a nice little surprise, uh, and Henry Cavill's little cameo, well, maybe not a cameo, but just a minor role, uh, was a nice surprise too. It It's basically, the film, in a way, is almost like everyone's start into the industry. It's Matthew Vaughn's, it's Ben Davis, cinematographer, it's Charlie Cox, Henry Cavill. Uh, Claire Danes didn't do much before this, if I'm not mistaken. She was in a right. few movies. I, I don't. All I remember her is from Homeland. That's the only thing I remember her from. Uh, the, the yeah, TV show. Homeland. She's in a handful of stuff from the '90s. I, I, I mean, she definitely like, started in the '90s, so you can at right. least yeah, she's a, been on the scene a, for at least young 10 actress. years. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I only know, I only know her from the Romeo and Juliet movie she did with uh, DiCaprio. Exactly. Um, she was other in that, than and that. She, she was also in. I don't know. This might be more obscure for most people, but I've also she's in the Rainmaker, which was uh, Matt Damon. Matt Damon uh, and she starred in that. Hmm. So oh, I never seen that Matt Damon movie. Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt yeah. Damon. I actually like that movie, so I would recommend it. Oh, okay, but, I'll check. Oh, I mean, okay. I like Matt Damon. I just, I just. I've kind of gotten turned off by him just because I've seen so many damn movies at this point, but I'll go back and watch his 90s stuff for sure. <laughs> yeah, young yeah. Matt I mean, Damon. 97, you're talking right when he had made Goodwill Hunting. I don't know if The Rainmaker came out before it or after it, but it's uh, the same. Yeah, year. It's, it's it sounds about the, around the same time Rounders came out, and I really like that movie. I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't seen Is that with Ed Norton? I have it, I but I am yes, aware yes, of it. Yes, yes, yeah, it is. Okay, I really I like that it. movie. I know of it. Uh, okay. Um, but yeah, this movie they had a lot of. So you look at the budget, and it's seventy million. So for two thousand seven, that sounds like a lot, but I don't think it. I still think that was kind of like low for a quote unquote big budget movie. So to have all this talent in here is pretty crazy. I mean, it's a stacked cast. Yeah, I mean, I think they got. Well, we're trying to we're jumping the gun a little bit, but yeah, no, it is a stacked cast and mostly a British. Uh, produced film so they have a lot of british actors that people would know um and they have the the ricky gervais kind of small parts pretty funny too that he's in it but um that was funny yes. yeah so 70 million it made like almost double that so it, it kind of why you guys didn't hear about it was probably because it was a it's probably considered a failure in the eyes of you know critics uh if you look mm-hmm. at bo- box office alone but i don't that's that doesn't matter to me. I, I can't remember for the life of me if I watched this for the first time in the theaters or I know for sure that I, my dad bought the, the DVD from Blockbuster because it had one of those Blockbuster big stickers on it and we watched <laughs> it at home. But I keep forgetting. Oh, okay. I can't remember if I saw it in theaters or not, but it's very possible I did just because it's mm. that fantasy uh, genre is kind of a lot. Of, you know, one of the things my dad... He doesn't like too many new movies, but fantasy is one that he'll go out and, out of his way to see of new stuff. So I I, I, I want to say I definitely definitely watched it in theaters, but I could be wrong. Regardless, yeah. So uh, Kevin, we were talking about before recording uh, Matt yeah. Vaughn and his filmography. Like you know, everyone knows him probably from Kingsman. Yeah, um, am I familiar with Matt Matthew Vaughn's filmography? Yeah, I mean the 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 first movie that i saw from matthew vaughn was kick-ass from 2010 and that one that one i specifically remember because uh some friends and i had planned to go see that after school and then we bought tickets for clash of the titans and then just walked right into kick-ass <laughs> uh 
and nice. that was my first uh, yeah because you know like 16 or 15 16 we couldn't even watch kick-ass but hey that was one way to do it at amc back in the day <laughs> Uh, and that was my first foray into Matthew Vaughn's filmography. And after that, uh, there came uh, the Kingsman movies. And I saw that one when I, when I was in college. And Matthew Vaughn has, I guess, see, you could probably say this. You could probably say this about any director, but he's got sort of an acquired taste in terms of filmmaking. He's a very fast paced, uh, tongue in cheek humor, uh, has a penchant for action and dynamic yes. action and it, in a way that's sort of uh in a yeah. way that's akin to edgar wright's style however i don't think matthew vaughn has the timing down as as uh you know as masterful as edgar wright has it down so the editing the editing too i like i, yeah, feel, I feel like the editing is very much like haphazard worked, well he worked with guy Ritchie, and i just feel like it's that quick like yeah a lot of cuts inspired. Exactly. It's very inspired by the Guy Ritchie school of editing, in a way. And that was pretty much all I knew from Matthew Vaughn. So this was sort of interesting to delve into. I think this is Matthew Vaughn's second feature film of his career, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Stardust. Yeah, after La- it, Layer it, Cake with uh, Daniel after Craig. After Layer Cake. Yes, yeah, the yeah, Daniel yeah, Craig movie right. was first. Yeah, that's the first one. So in a way, after seeing Matthew Vaughn's style in Kick-Ass and Kingsman, it was kind of nice to go back and see his early stuff with Stardust. And You're, you're lucky, what, Kevin, that yeah. he didn't take... He was supposed to be the original director of X-Men 3. So I, I read about that, yeah, yeah, and then it went to Brett Ratner. <laughs> Which, yeah, probably the worst choice ever, but uh, I, right. digre- I digress. <laughs> well, I think I if I'm... If I, if I read correctly, I believe Matthew Vaughn had a problem, had an issue with the way Brett Ratner uh, handled the, the third X-Men, which is uh, I guess correct, yeah. But Matthew Vaughn, in a way, what stands out to me with this film, uh, there's that there's that innocence. not An, an innocence uh, in Charlie Cox's character, but not only within his character, but I think it breathes through every aspect of the film itself, in just in terms of direction, editing, a cinematography and everything about it seems to parallel Matthew Vaughn's early start as a feature film director. And I think for me, that's what stood out uh, above but, everything else in this film. Yeah. I mean, I, before we get more into that, let me, uh, <laughs> let's give the plot to the listeners. Cause they're probably like, yes. what the, what the hell is this about? Um, <laughs> So I, I did watch it on my Blu-ray, so I'll read the, the back of the Blu-ray. I think that will suffice. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. fantasy, so it's pretty vague, but we'll we'll get into it. And if, if Chris and Kevin, if you guys want, want to add anything to this plot summary, go right ahead. In hopes of wooing a beautiful girl, played by Sienna Miller, Tristan, played by Charlie Cox, promises to bring her a falling star. But he's in for an adventure of his life when he discovers the star is actually a celestial beauty named Yvonne played by uh, Claire Danes. When an old witch Lamia, Michelle Pfeiffer, attempts to steal Yvonne's youth, Tristan must protect her at all costs. This magical fairy tale, like no other, will make you laugh out loud and believe in in love again. Um, That's basically it. They kind of leave out the entire bit about the the kingdom and getting the pendant and the Stormhold family. So I guess I know 
I don't know what's the direction we want to take this. Chris, do you want to like talk about anything? Kevin, I, I mean, I don't care. Like when I say anything, I mean the plot specifically. I actually have a question that doesn't relate to the plot. Okay. Can I ask that? Yeah. yeah. Do now, it, you man. mentioned <laughs> You mentioned that this was a British produced film. Are there any other countries that also produce this? Yeah. With, yeah. Uh, with them? Oh, yeah, I forget the production company. Not to put you on the spot. I'm, no, I'm just, I'm curious. So it was filmed, is... it's filmed in England, Scotland, Wales, and Iceland. So I believe there was an Icelandic mm. production company involved with the Iceland locations. And I, it definitely had funding from American companies. It was just, I think more than half of the money came from British uh, money. And okay. I, I mean, Matthew Vaughn is British. Neil Gaiman's British. It's a lot of British people. Uh, the other screenwriter, uh, what's her name? Jane Goldman, maybe? Jane, Jane Goldman, yeah. Frequent collaborator of Matthew Vaughn. Yeah, so they're all British. So what do you mean? What's what's the... What are you drilling down to with your question, Chris? Nothing in particular. I'm I'm curious just from an outsider standpoint as to... I'm always curious to know what other countries are involved with large casts like this. I look at the cast and... Um, you know, we were already amazed at how how big it is and how many people are in it. A lot of big names. So my mind just goes to what production companies are behind it because um, it's interesting to see what other countries might have interests in something like this or anything like that. So it's just just a random question, and I, I gotcha. wanted to start with I wanted to start with that because you had mentioned it already, and uh, before we before we dig into anything yeah. further, so. Yeah, this this story comes originally from the novel of the same name written by Neil Gaiman. Uh, Kevin, do you have anything specifically to say about him um, with Neil regards? Gaiman. I yeah, I think it's. I mean, I, I'm. Yeah. yeah, I'm not. I'm not that well. Did did, in did Neil you writing? Did you what? did you read or the comics Sandman or no? The Sandman. I, I know of the Sandman, but I I didn't read it. I, yeah. I did read Neil Neil Gaiman's uh, Batman. Whatever happened to the Cape Crusader? So that I'm more so familiar with in terms of Neil Gaiman's stuff like American Gods, uh, The Sandman. That's all stuff that I have put on the back burner. I yep. Mean, <laughs> he's I, got a lot. He's got a lot. I asked some so. of my friends who have read this stuff, like, hey, what's the deal with this guy? Like, is he prolific? Like other – I'm not a comic book guy at all. Like, But what's the deal with him? And he doesn't just do comics. He does obviously novels too and graphic yeah, novels, novels and whatever. But mm -hmm. um, Basically, prolific guy involved with DC a lot, and yeah, there's a lot of whole. There's a lot of I. I kind of I watch the commentary, so I have a lot of insight into a lot of the production stuff. Um, just because mm -hmm. I spent two hours listening to the damn commentary <laughs> and very cool feature. Yeah. There's featurettes on the on the Blu-ray for the the behind the scenes stuff. So yeah, I, I kind of picked it just because it's a more recent movie. It's a fantasy. Um, with you know, it's kind of a coming of coming of age movie as well. So yeah, we, we don't really right. get too many of those. But I think it, it, right now, you know, twenty twenty three, we don't get too many of those. But at the time in 07, like a lot of that kind of stuff was coming out. Like you were saying, actually, you didn't say it yet. It's in your notes. Sorry, Kevin, I'm jumping the gun. But <laughs> no, but yeah, <laughs> similar like, two things that come to mind with this i mean i didn't watch what's that movie with daniel craig uh something with like the polar bears no 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 oh the, a golden compass yeah yeah i never watched it film. yeah i, I never, never watched it either i never watched it but that came around 
came out around the same time. The the, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia movies. Narnia. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think there was just kind of like a big boom at the time for kind of fantasy stuff. Percy Jackson. Potter. Percy Jackson. Polar Jackson. Express. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah so and a lot of them, they all looked, they all looked alike, didn't they? <laughs> to a degree. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. To a degree. Yeah. So I think this one's kind of just different because it's a, it's a one and done. It's not this, you know, big sprawling series of movies. It's no, and it didn't have to be. Yeah. I love, I love that about yeah. it actually. But yeah. Yeah. So, the, uh, it's kind of funny, Chris, that you asked about the production companies. Uh, the Weinsteins almost got their hands on this, but oh boy, but it, it got oh, really. But they they bought the rights to it, and apparently it, the contract went out, and they never, you know, the contract expired, and it never came to fruition. So, Gaiman or Gaiman, what, however the hell we pronounce his freaking name, Gaiman. <laughs> yeah, um, he pulled he pulled it back, and once he got it back, he. He kind of like compared. I don't. Th- I'm not sure if I'm. Not, I don't know any of the background of any of the other movies re- regarding his work or TV shows or anything. But he mm-hmm. he kind of compared it to in an interview. He said that he wanted control over it or wanted to retain control and be a kind of a producer slash writer on the movie if the movie was made because he because he saw what happened to Alan Moore's stuff. Now, yeah. <laughs> I don't have any insight into that. Maybe you do, Kevin. I'm not, I don't want to put you on the spot, but no. Uh, I mean, I I know just a little bit. The thing about Alan Moore, though, Alan Moore, uh, in a very simplistic uh way of saying it, he gets pissed off at every uh, pretty much everything. I think. So if you're just gonna like take something accurate. that he, yeah, if you're just gonna take something and then try to be very genuine with his material, like what Zack Snyder did with Watchmen, he's still not gonna like it. Uh, so it's, yeah. it seems to me that no matter what you do uh, with his work, he's just not going to well, like. Isn't it. he kind of an asshole anyway? I think so. It might be fair yeah. to say he's a he he's a weird kind of guy. I don't follow him, but I just I kind of yeah. I've always heard that he's just like a complainer and just you know kind of fell. Yeah, he's he's, he's falling he's falling off. Right, and I think p- viewers might have more insight into that too. But the way I know know of it, I think he's wrong from my standpoint like for the way i see it i think he's wrong when it comes to adaptations of his own work in which he just doesn't like them and i think he just doesn't even bother to give them the time but in terms of what dc has done to him i think he might be fair in that regard so um i mean kevin you give a great example with uh, what snyder did with the watchman yeah right as far as as far as that adaptation goes i mean Mm-hmm. Snyder basically takes panel for panel from the from the his graphic novel. And he, then, he does, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he only changes one plot point. If I remember and, correctly, I believe so. I think you're right. In, and I think it's in the third act. Beyond yeah. that, everything else is almost exactly identical. Pretty and much, then Al- yeah. And then Alan Moore was still unhappy with that. Mm-hmm. So it, <laughs> I, think that, I think at that point, it says more about him than it does the adaptation. I think so. Yeah, I think so, too. It's kind of complicated with Alan Moore. I mean, I think, again, definitely he just doesn't like any adaptation of his work. But at the same time, I think people uh, or maybe I I do, too, need to understand that maybe he was also sort of demoralized by uh, the way DC handled his writing. So when he wrote when he wrote stuff like The Killing Joke uh, or when he did stuff like Watchmen, I think, or League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I think he was sort of um, demoralized by the big company and what they were trying to do to his work. 
So the, sure. there was a possibility it, that that could have affected him in and, and, well, and what in, filmmakers would do with his work. So I don't know. In any in any novel, in any um, what's the word I'm looking for? In any person, in any writer's work, mm-hmm. I'm sure that it's a tough thing to swallow when someone's adapting your work. Because it's not. It's not a tough tough. To, thing to swallow when they go to the bank and they cash that fucking check i mean come on well, what you know it, it should be point. known it should be known by now right someone's gonna buy your book it's not gonna be the same just get used to it take the freaking two million dollars and shut up i i just get it. i get really annoyed with that because it's like if if you wanted to be involved with the production of it be like neil gaiman in this movie and say hey this movie the movie rights go to you but i need to be brought on board as right. a i need to be writer part, i need to write the screenplay yeah yeah yes. right yeah right. so so gaiman uh-huh. made a great point in one of the behind the scenes uh featurettes that the ending of this book or sorry the ending of this movie and the book are completely freaking different and he actually came up with kind of both and he says they fit they, he said the book ending fits the book and the movie ending fits the movie it's it's they're catered to the medium right so mm-hmm. why don't these yes. all au- why don't these authors go out of their way to say hey like yeah I'll take the money but pay me a little bit more and I'll come on as a writer and like make sure this isn't a shit yeah. show. Yeah. I think also so this is great because I I don't know. I mean, I know that both you guys like you grew up with Calvin and Hobbes. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. So yes. I mean Wait, so who Bill- who is that? No, I'm serious. I'm serious. Here we go with that. Wait, are you serious? Wait, are you serious, Ben? Wait, who is it? Calvin, Calvin and Hobbes. Hobbes. You don't know Calvin the and Hobbes? The comic, yeah, the comic strip. Nope. By Bill Waters. Dude, I told you. I literally just said 20 minutes ago, I'm not a comic guy. <laughs> I don't know shit about comics besides <laughs> Batman, Superman, you well, know. Uh, so, so to be fair, Chris, we got to get him. We got to get him. <laughs> Oh man, you got to yeah. We got to get him to Bill <laughs> Waterston. <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes, to be fair, isn't your traditional like comic it's not a comic book it's from the funnies no this is this is why we're doing this podcast you need to learn things people i need to learn shit too (laughs) calvin yes and calvin and Hobbes is like i i grew up on that i don't know about i grew up on that i grew i know i grew up on that where where did this why i brought it up where did it come is it a newspaper thing was it it released in a newspaper funny it It was like it was in the funny Yes, I'm looking it up. I'm looking it up now. I'll see if I recognize it. I'm sure you recognize it, Ben. I'm sure you've seen Calvin and Hobbes somewhere. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah, highly recommended material. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that alongside Peanuts, like great, just recommend like a newspaper funny material. Um, I'm sure you can add like Dilbert in there, too. But what I wanted to say about this is that. When it comes to authors and their, you know, like beloved stories and characters, I guess in a way I do recognize. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, it's fine. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so, yeah, that's yeah, good. that's a good. I thing. didn't know that's the name. Thing. I'm stupid. <laughs> so, um, Bill Watterson was really protective of Calvin and Hobbes and what you know other people wanted to do with his characters so you know yeah i I see your point ben you you like you you could have taken the neil gaiman route but i think there's a there's sort of i mean isn't that kind of didn't um damn what who's the guy uh jd salinger take every everyone should take his route and be like you're not adapting my damn book unless you know for whatever reason if you if you're still going to be so touchy about like uh the catcher in the rye rather that's what i was referring referring to yes that's the book you're, yeah, that's the book that's you're right. trying to talk about so yeah why 
if you're going to complain, basically just say, no, I'm not selling you the rights. Because if you want the money, mm-hmm. then you have to accept that and swallow that it's not going to be the same no matter what. I mean, yeah. unless uh-huh. you sell it as a TV show, then there, maybe you'll have a chance. But and let me look at anything. Game of Thrones. It doesn't come out the same way as the author's intent. So it, I don't know. I think I think it's just a, it's a balancing act. And it's really stupid for these authors to kind of use that argument like, Oh, it didn't come out the way I wanted. Like, no shit. You knew that before you sold it. Like, come on. You knew that was going to happen, right? It's a really good mm-hmm. point to make, Ben, because it's yeah. that part of the deal is something that happens obviously behind the scenes. And it's something that we're not always, we're not privy to that. And we don't always know. Yeah. I think um, it's really complicated behind the scenes too. Just, you know, as, as like with Alan, with Alan Moore, I think there's a, a lot more that we don't know. And really the only I'm thing sure that there I is. Could, yeah, and the only thing that I could say is what I said earlier is that I think he might have been demoralized by big companies and how they wanted to handle his work. So when it comes to maybe a filmmaker or a producer wanting to uh, adapt his work, I think immediately the instinct is, no, I don't want this to happen. And if it does happen, I'm not going to like it because, you know, it's something that I personally created. So I don't know. I understand the mentality, but there's a lot more to that. With Bill Watterson, going back to Bill Watterson, he was sort of in the same boat. And I think you might know more than me, Chris. I mean, he was against merchandising Calvin and Hobbes. He didn't You're want 100% anything. correct. Right. Yeah. But like, but he had a specific reason for it. And I think it was a lot more genuine and a lot more, uh, a lot more clear than as to what Alan Moore, whatever Alan Moore would want to say about any adaptation of his work. He was, uh, Bill Watterson, I think, believed that any adaptation would cheapen what he what he made and also just what fans have already seen and how they perceive calvin and hobbes through his comic strip so if you were to make a movie and you and you suddenly hear the voices of calvin and hobbes through uh you know it changes everything actor it changes everything and then it it changes your perception of it i think the, the idea here is that bill watterson wanted readers to have their own preconceived notions as to who Calvin and Hobbes are, how they look like, and how they sound like in their heads, because I think the comic strip already fuels that imagination as to how they would want it to be. Exactly and if you, right. just, if you make a movie, and if you make a show, or you bring out merchandise, and then you start making money off these certain characters, and then you reach into the idea of, okay, how much am I going to receive? And I think Bill Watterson just didn't want to deal with any of that. Well, then, and then all of a sudden, you're not then all of a sudden when someone thinks of the thing that you came up with, you're, they might not even be thinking of your original artwork. Exactly. They could be, they could be thinking of someone else's iteration of your ideas and your characters. Exactly. And yeah. You're exactly right. That Waterston mm-hmm. was very worried about that. And he never, he was very pri- He was a very private person too. Exactly. I don't yeah, think, very, I don't think he's person. done. I don't, I don't think he's done very many interviews with anybody. Um, only, this, only this all goes one or two, yeah, that's true. Yes, and this this all goes to your our point here about about the writer for Stardust, mm-hmm. correct? This yeah. is what this is what yeah. you you and Ben are talking about here because the they wrote the original they have the they were the original source uh, for the material and they mm-hmm. were right or was yeah. there a screenwriter? Am I yeah, yeah, that's so, right. Yes. So he okay. right. so yeah. Matthew Vaughn I guess came on as a producer. And he was not going to be the director of this movie. It was supposed to be Terry Gilliam, actually. But he well, that would have been pretty interesting. He he oh, dropped he, interesting. he dropped out because of Brothers Grimm. He's like, I don't want to do another fantasy movie. So mm. 
And he ended up doing a fantasy movie. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Whatever, Terry. Um, yeah. So Matthew Vaughn was, I guess he brought Jane. I'm not sure if it was the first or he brought her on. Jane Goldman or Goodman? Goldman? Goldman? Goldman. Yeah. Yeah. Goldman. So they've done a bunch of stuff together. But from my understanding, they got the story and then, you know, you're, you're cutting down what would be a eight to 10 hour TV show in, in content to two hours. You're going to have to make compromises, right? It's just the way it goes. So I that's think that's the way she goes. That's the way she goes, yeah. boys. <laughs> Piss jugs. Um, right. <laughs> the way she goes. That's the way she goes. That's right. That's the way she goes. That's what I said. So you lost all our drink money is what she goes. She's gone. That's right. It's the way she goes. Sometimes she goes, sometimes it doesn't. She didn't go. It's the way she goes. Um, so, yeah. So I think they took it, did their own little edits, and then consult. He was like a consultant during production. Is yeah. What, is what I understand. Yeah, yeah. And he, there, you can, if you buy the DVD or the DVD, Blu ray, whatever, it's probably on YouTube. You can see him on set, like talking about, like, uh, for example, the uh, pirate ship set. Like, I, I made people make this. He's like, I feel so good, mm-hmm. guilty about it because he's like, it's just a thought in my head, but regardless. Um, but that's interesting. It's it, that it, is that so is interesting. It, it should happen more often. Something, yeah, it should happen more often. Because so like, then we certain... then we would get uh, we would get like, hey, we're gonna have to compromise here. But the author or the whoever the creator gets their their say. They're, they may might not get the final say in editing and cutting all the you know any of the extra scenes out. But they get a yeah. say that's not just hey, give me my check. Yeah. Here's the, here's the story. You know, give them a give them a big uh, stack of papers. Here's my story. And then go do right. whatever you want to it. All right. Stop complaining about it. So I think this conversation basically summarizes that Neil Gaiman was happy about the production and he was happy about how this movie turned out. Yeah. And I think also, again, like there, there's also like that certain mentality. It's a different mentality where he, even though like, it, they're separate things, it's it, it, like just because like a movie was based on his work was made. That's not gonna, his, his, mentality was it's not going to change whatever i did in the original story that people already know it's not going to tarnish yeah. it so it's like you know yeah the, I, I i can see that too and it, it, it's interesting so it was really cool that he was a consultant on on this movie and they they actually cared about what he wanted to say and how he wanted his work uh, portrayed um yeah i think they had yeah, a really I mean, good rapport it wasn't like a yeah I mean, That's when you're when you're the, when you're working with someone for nine months or a year, I hope you have a yeah. good rapport, right? You don't want to be exactly assholes with each other for a year. That's just yeah, that would be dra- yeah, yeah. draining. Exactly. He understood that if you're just going to do the exact same thing that he did in his in in his in his novel, that was a novel, right? Not not a it was not a yeah. graphic novel. I think it was it was a novel. It was a graphic novel. It was a graphic novel. Okay, so like, but I mean, it was two hundred. I think it's two hundred and fifty pages, and uh, the name of the Charles Vess. Might be the illustrator. I'm not sure if you know that name, Kevin. Uh, I he, he sounds somewhat familiar. I don't know much of what he's done. Yeah, it, I should have looked that up that before I've recording. Definitely seen. <laughs> no, don't worry. But yeah, I mean, he he Neil Gaiman understood. I mean, like if you're just gonna do the exact same thing from the graphic novel and translate that uh, in, on film, it's just gonna be boring. You know, if, it, if there needs to be some creative uh, nuance here when you put that on film, not everything that's gonna work in the book or in the graphic novel is gonna translate well into film. So it's the, it's the basic, yeah. it's the basic rule when you're taking any sort of source, right? Because yeah. it's, it's, it's the question we ask ourselves when we have a book, take any book, 
the things they carry just because it's the first one I think of. There's a reason why it's written, right? And then there there's so yeah. many things that go into how a book reads that you can't necessarily capture on camera and vice versa. There exactly. are things you can capture on camera that you can't capture into words. Um, That's right. So yeah. it's it's a it's exactly what Ben said. I think it was Ben that said about finding a balance. It's a balance when you have all these people working together and making contracts and signing the dotted line and giving away their source material. And then it's a balance when you're trying to adapt that material. Yes. Mm. So Charles Vest was the, the, the artist for Sandman. Um, Kevin, for your reference. Yeah. But yeah, yeah so, yeah. yeah, that's right. So Charles Vest was actually, in some of the videos too. And I, I think he was helping consult too, to a degree. I mean, he worked with the Gaim art direction. Yeah. The, I, I guess so. I don't, oh, I don't cool. I mean the story too, I think, but so it's interesting that you say that Chris about the, how the, how the novel was written, because this one was probably written in a very unconventional way, but he would write yeah. a, a chapter or two at a time, then give it to Charles Vest for illustration. So he, I don't even think he knew the ending when he started. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's a cool. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that's yeah, why it's a he, cool little tidbit. Maybe that's why he. That, maybe that is why he was open to a different ending because he wasn't like married to something. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. That could, that's interesting. Yeah. So but, there's a lot more freedom, freedom for for both creators involved. So that that's yeah. all. That, that's that's kind of nice to hear. Okay, cool. So I think that's why this project kind of it 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 kind of wasn't successful because it was different than a lot of other. I guess a lot of other movies at the time and movies from the past. I mean, um, I don't want to steal your thunder, Kevin, but they, Matthew, okay. Matthew Vaughn did also say the same thing. You ha Kevin has this written down people. He, he came up with this himself, <laughs> but the princess bride is the princess bride. He was trying to kind of go for that kind of little feel. That's what uh, he was trying to do. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so, interesting. Okay. Yeah. But I, I want to say, I disagree and say they, they, well, when I say feel, I don't know if he's going, you know, the story, the, the look, the, you know, what, what do you mean by feel, right? How, you know, the, the, I think the themes. Yeah. I, I think this is, themes, I think this movie is like storybook yeah, escapist I, feel kind of. Yeah. I, I think this is much more similar to the Chronicles of Narnia in terms of like you take a character. So the plot summary I gave was pretty vague. So in the beginning of the movie, Charlie Cox's character is on one side of a wall in England. And then there's this magical country right next to it that apparently no one knows about, but the people in this village know about. It's kind of an interesting yes. concept because it's very abstract. It's not like set in stone. It, well, <laughs> pardon the pun, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it feels a lot more to me like Chronicles of Narnia where there's like these innocent characters. And in this case, it's one character kind of gets exposed to this whole new magical world and no one else really knows about it so like the princess bride is just like to me it's a character uh, uh gr the grandfather and the son or the, the grandson are, are reading the book back you know the, he's reading the book to him it's a little bit different it's a way different feel for me in my opinion i don't i don't know about right. you guys uh, i i mean i i have something about oh about the similarity and the difference between Princess Bride and Star, but you you go on. I, I want to hear what you. Yeah, what well, no, I, I just think it's more like Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, have you guys either either of you have you ever seen the TV show? I think I believe it's a miniseries. Not a, it wouldn't be classified as TV. It's miniseries. Uh, the Tenth Kingdom. No, I haven't. No. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you, that one. Like it's 
New York City and some characters from New York City in like present time. It was I think it was released in 2000, so 2000 mo- modern time. They get drawn into the fantasy world and Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty and all these people are in it. It's it's cool. Um, I it has, it has a much more in anime. There is a term called isekai. Are you, either of you familiar with that? Not exactly. I, I not. should be, but no, I'm not. <laughs> so an isekai is when a character is taken from one world and thrown into another, and they have to adapt and kind of become become uh, experienced in that world to survive, usually, or to get to get out of it. But regardless, I'm not. No, it's a really get... common trope, in other words, yeah. for that genre. Oh my! <sighs> it, it, it happens all the time in anime. It happens they... all the time. There's a boom, man. In the last 15 years, there's, there's probably been 200 of them. It's crazy. But regardless, <laughs> I, I, I just think it's much more of that vibe. Instead of the Princess Bride, to me, is different. I think there's a distinct yeah. difference in the storytelling. Yeah. But I, everyone, all I wanted to say is everyone made that comparison. Um, maybe you have a, a deeper understanding of what you mean, Kevin. But a lot of people are just like, oh, it's like Princess Bride. It's a Princess Bride for this generation. I'm like, that's really surface level. I, I get that. It's very surface level, and it's definitely not... I don't think Stardust is the Princess Bride for this generation. But what I want to get at, and I think what, what Matthew Vaughn means by that, I think... So there's a sort of... Um, there's a sort of innocence... Well, not sort of. There really... There deliberately is an innocence with uh, the Princess Bride and the way that's, that, the way that's handled. Because... Um, Hang on a second. Here's here's what I wanted to say. Hang on a second. I sort of lost it. Jeez. Well, while you're okay. looking for it, I just want to say that I did not make the Princess Bride connection in my head. And I also didn't even connect it to Narnia while I was watching this, only until after maybe I thought about it aesthetically. Yeah. But neither of those actually popped into my head. So... I think I'm kind of an oddball. I've I've seen my experience. I've seen the movie like 10 or 15 times at this point, but it's been a while since I bought the Blu-ray like a few months ago. Yeah. And it was my first time in probably close to 10 years, maybe eight. I I don't know. I mean, I've seen it after college, but no, before college, it's been a while. What were you going to say, Kevin? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I I had it written down. It was just like the way to deliver it. That was my problem. But anyway, what what I meant to say was with the Princess Bride, the, Reiner deliberately uses innocence in every aspect of storytelling, and he does so with a sort of grace uh, to it. There's a there's a deliberate factor, and there's a grace to it. However, with Matthew Vaughn, I think he was trying to deliver upon the innocence too with Stardust, and I think it worked with the storytelling. But I think. In you know, in contrast to the way Rob Reiner used innocence in The Princess Bride, I think the innocence in Stardust doesn't come from a director's deliberate style. It comes from his attempt to find his style. Because Matthew Vaughn was still starting out, and I think really that early start as a director, he was still trying to find his style. So naturally, the innocence kind of came from that aspect with Stardust. That's what I wanted to say. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's, I mean, that's a good distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the, the, the there's definitely a difference between Stardust and the Princess Bride, and I see what Matthew Vaughn means. Um, well, and I I just gave my the, the way I see it, that's my reason for it. But I think also, it's what 
again, it's a director trying to find his style, and that's where the innocence comes from. But also, he's trying to touch upon that innocence with Charlie Cox's character and everything about the film. I think yeah. there's there's a there's a twinkle in the eye. There's an innocence that he's trying to deliver. That Princess Bride did so uh, with a, a lot of, uh, you know, it was it was quite perfect the way a Princess Bride delivered that. So, yeah, <laughs> but I see what you mean, Ben, about the yeah. I, it's not everyone does say that it is kind of like the Princess Bride. Yeah, if, if you look at reviews, it's like every, it one not necessarily is one out of three is like it's the Princess Bride of two thousand two thousands. I'm like. Uh no. <laughs> it's really a yeah. good thing. It's really quite a good thing, I think, that I did not read any reviews after before or after watching yeah, this. Hell movie yeah. Going in blind. It sounds like it sounds like everybody has made that assertion. I think it's a very right. when someone's writing a paragraph of five sentences on letterbox, I think it's really easy just to say that and be like, All right, done. My review's over. And this happens all the time with different movies for different Reasons oh my god or, it's just whatever, like it's just but, like this like okay cool <laughs> thanks for telling me about the movie <laughs> yeah one person says it a couple people say it then it becomes a domino effect everyone's gonna say the exact same thing yeah <laughs> i didn't read reviews to make that connection i just i, I just remember that matthew vaughn mentioned the princess he, he, and I was like, he, okay yeah but i don't really see much of the similarity here i can only see it in within this aspect as a film uh, with him being a filmmaker and a very very young filmmaker at the time yeah still trying to find his style yeah yeah exactly that's where the innocence comes from and then it breathes it breathes through the story and the filmmaking not so much as in like this is deliberate on my part i want the innocence to stand out Mm -hmm. yeah if that makes sense (laughs) it does yeah yeah so yeah that's how i saw it well you know what so i'm trying to think of what i i'm trying to think of my initial reactions while i was watching the movie if I was comparing it to anything in my head. Vaughn quote unquote said the princess bride with a midnight run overtone. I've never seen midnight run, but I think you midnight have Midnight right? run with De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris, I, you, I thought you've you seen midnight that run? Chris. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, fascinating. I, I have not seen midnight run yet. Okay. I've, I, I feel I've like that would be up part. your alley for whatever reason. Just look, look, the... no, no, it's, it's been on my sites for a long time. That's with uh, Robert De Niro and um and uh, Charles Gruden. Yeah, exactly. I know I I, I know of the film. I, I I haven't seen all of it, but I think I know what Matthew Vaughn means. It's because you know you you have got one character who's trying to lead another character um to a certain destination, but one character is very reluctant to even join this character on that journey. So obviously, you have that with uh Charlie Cox's Tristan and Claire Danes's uh, Evane. Evane doesn't want to join him on this mission but as as the uh, adventure progresses then she takes a liking to him and sort of in the same way with midnight run i even though i haven't seen much of the film what i can garner is that robert de niro's character takes a liking to the criminal he's trying to relocate from one part Hmm. of the country to another state that makes and sense then. That 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 that's okay. And, so that, and, that, and that's Matthew Vaughn in every single one of anytime he mentions De Niro on that freaking Blu-ray, he's like, "Oh, De Niro, one of my favorite actors." I'm like, "All right, we get it, dude. You wanted him in your movie, and you got him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which yeah, is which is probably a, they they shot the film for two months and they had De Niro for a week and a half. So really, that's all they had. I'm, really? I'm gonna make oh, okay. so I'm gonna make my De Niro. It's gonna be a multiple 
connecting the, point. Before here. you do, before you do, was was Robert De Niro as a gay captain in the closet, but not really? Was that worth the price <laughs> of it? Was that worth the price of admission? <laughs> I I would say yes. I really? would say yes. Yes. The cameo really threw me off. I mean, not in what, a bad for De Niro. Way. For De Niro, like when well when he when he pops in when he pops in the frame, I'm like I was like what. So then I had to rewind it for a little. I was like, no way. Wait, you didn't, <laughs> you didn't know it was him? I, no, I, I, I knew it was him. I just couldn't you believe watched, it. You watched the movie without knowing who was in the movie. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. I didn't know. Yes, I did not yes, know. That was, a, that was a huge, huge surprise. I just said, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? No way, De Niro. So That's awesome. It was so a this, nice, this, it was this a nice surprise. Yeah. This is good because I'm going to make a, a multiple connecting point with, multi- with topics that we've already brought up. Uh-huh. And the De Niro role here reminded me a lot of his very tiny role in Terry Gilliam's Brazil. So I bring this up. We've already mentioned Gilliam, who was once attached to uh, this this project and then got pulled off. And then De Niro had, having a role in that in that past movie of his. It's very it's very similar to that sort of feel, at least to me, where. And I guess Brazil is a little bit of an adventure film. So it has, it has, it follows that recipe that, that Gilliam likes. And I don't know if Matthew Vaughn was inspired by Gilliam's work, but um, there's a lot of overlap there from what I can see. And the De Niro role in Brazil is one of, it's one of a handful of De Niro roles that I, that I join in on the praise he's appropriately used he's not really overdoing anything and yes. i think he's being more he's being more of a character than when he's cited to play a lot of these gangster types yeah. um because i think sometimes when he plays these gangster types he's just living up he's just living up to the stereotype that everybody knows him as well, chris so, that's, yeah. that's amazing you bring that up because the point of his character is that he's supposed to be a tough guy but he's really not it's it's against, really. it's against yes. type that's on yeah. purpose yes so so i think i think it's i think that part of it is it's that part of it's really well done i think it was an appropriate casting choice i think um trying to alter his image in that way works in his favor and it reminded me of his role in Brazil. I love, so I, I love that's it. That's all I want to say there. Man. So it's multiple <laughs> points. It was, it was a positive, positive part of the movie for me. And uh, I'll leave it to you guys. All right. I have a lot of things to say about that part of the movie, but I, to jump on that point about th- them specifically asking for De Niro to be in the role where it would be, you know, it's kind of meta Michelle Pfeiffer. He, uh, Vaughn wanted her because he wanted the evil witch to be played by the most beautiful woman, you know, one of the most beautiful women on, you know, the last 20 years when this movie came out. Uh, Cause she's ugly. A lot of the movie with all that makeup on and she's keeps trying to be beautiful, even though she already is in real life. So that's again, another, another reason why you wanted that person in that role, which I just think is brilliant. (laughs) That's definitely not a director quality. That's because he was a producer. He's like, I I want this person, you know, I want this person. And, And I think that was, that's really cool. Yeah, I, the, the fact that really it cool. all came together for this guy on his second movie he directed is pretty freaking amazing. It's this—it's the stars aligning. <laughs> oh, bravo! Yeah. yeah, very good. Yeah, it's like his dream come true, right? No one got my pun. Damn it! 
<laughs> no, 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 I got uh, it. I got it. I got <laughs> don't it. ignore I my puns. <laughs> I totally got it. I just <laughs> well, we know we know Chris is the punny guy. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to insert laughter. You're the editor, so you can just you can just go put a laugh track in. Hey, there I'll, I'll just put the, I'll put the uh, seven dead brothers laughing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's what you just heard, people. Um, but yeah, that scene. The so the whole movie is the the journey for Tristan to get Yvonne to uh, what's her name, Victoria back in wall so he's yeah victoria he he magically gets transported into this mad you know into this magical kingdom and he's very far across the border and he needs to get her back and now they can't travel magically because the method is gone uh it's a candle so halfway through the movie halfway through their journey they get catapulted catapulted with this candle into the sky and you know the, the 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 sky pirates get them so a uh, one reason I really like this whole bit is they, for whatever reason, the, the, the Nero's pirates, like all of his guys just remind me of the pirates in castle in the sky, the Ghibli movie. I just love that. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you've got that connection, oh, Chris, but that's, that's no, I did not, but that's a cool, that's a cool connection. Yeah. So I love Miyazaki. I need to see myself actually. And the whole half of the movie. Another reason why this is perfectly put in the middle is that, Yvonne does not like Tristan the whole first half. And then the second half, they obviously fall in love. So this marks where yeah. they start falling in love. And I just think it's really a charming uh, little, you know, I think it's five to 10 minutes on the ship for the first time. And mm-hmm. then there's the, uh, yeah, Chris, so there's a, there's a montage in there. I know you like eighties montages. Did you like that little montage with they're doing all the different like activities they're dancing, they're learning how to fight with swords and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, it was a, it was an appropriate use of a montage. Yeah, yeah, so all that, and then you you put Ricky Gervais in a room with Robert De Niro and say, you know, let, let him loose. And they're only in a, in a scene for like forty five seconds or a minute. It's not very long, but ten thousand bolts, ten thousand bolts of finest quality grade A. Yeah, but it's it's difficult to shift and it difficult to store. If I get the revenue men in there sniffing around, what's the uh, best price, 150 guineas. Gentlemen, put the merchandise back on board and prepare to sail. Oh, 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 hold on, hold on. One minute, hold on, Cuddles. 160, 160. Seeing as I'm feeling particularly generous today, I'll settle for 200. 200? Okay. You're having a laugh. <laughs> Have you had your head in that? <laughs> Has he been saying that where the air's too thin? <laughs> You're being very rude. Not anymore. 200. 180. 200. That's not negotiation. I'm changing my number. 185. Did I hear 200? From you, you did. Yeah. You said 200. If I did, you're a ventriloquist. Okay. 195, final offer. 195 it is. So with sales tax, that's, let's see, 200. Brilliant. Put it in the back. Unbelievable. It's great. They're back and forth. I just like that whole, that part of the world building is, that's why I like these fantasy movies. Like you, I feel it was immersive for me. I, I don't know about you guys, but I also saw this movie as a very young, young teenager. So I've, I've always liked it. You, but, you've got it. You've got a connection to it. Yeah. And, it, and my second question that I have in my notes is uh, imagine if you put Ricky Gervais and Bobby De Niro in a room together in 2023, how would they get along? <laughs> oh, I would love to see that. 
very very much come on bobby <laughs> i can't even do a freaking british accent but like come on bobby you're too <laughs> you're too woke man wake up <laughs> this is funny because i wanted to bring this up really quickly with with, with de niro it's like you, you you guys already went on like a little de niro bashing train uh early of, earlier this uh, or past this past week yeah. yeah whatever two weeks ago i mean i'll jo- i'll join in on that i am sick of de niro too but I, i'm hitting that sort of phase with my movie watching is that i mean okay i i can i can definitely accept uh de niro as an actor i i do enjoy de niro as an actor especially after i first saw taxi driver and and then in this cameo too it was like okay that looked a really nice surprise but you know yeah i mean <laughs> All right, so, since we're I'm on the topic by... since we're on the topic yeah. yeah i think that this was a definitely again pardon the pun or the you know whatever the shining star of the last 20 years of his movies making his career in the last 20 years this is the only role i'm like yeah i like that i think yeah him or de niro de niro and pacino lean they lean way too hard in that stupid just like deep voice growling yelling role for the last 30 years they're like oh that's how they talk and it's like pacino's terrible (laughs) after heat everything he's in is garbage maybe (laughs) <laughs> maybe the insider with Russell Crowe. I kind of, I think he's in that movie. I, th- I like that one. I think, I think I'm remember, remembering correctly. And I like his role in once upon a time in Hollywood because he plays that yes, Jewish I producer like guy. He's hilarious, but I like him um, there too. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they, Any they given Sunday. I haven't Any seen it, but I haven't seen it, but I, I guarantee you he's leaning into it. Like, I just don't understand why they can't like, so you're a supposed quote unquote method actor, but you're playing the same damn role for 20 years doesn't make sense to me but maybe it's laziness i <laughs> don't know maybe laziness or any way to get money or they're just rolling yeah they're just rolling on their i mean i, I would love it in i would <laughs> love to know i would love to know how much money he got paid for two weeks of work probably like right four hundred thousand dollars or something stupid uh, well, whatever credit for casting directors and their agents because they know they're going to get paid for their name i mean if you already establish yourself in hollywood you're gonna have some sort of fandom yeah Right. So that that's just that's just the obvious part. But I, I do agree with you guys that we're t- when we're talking about these two actors, De Niro and Pacino. Yes, I think I think that they are over they're overdone and they have been overdone for some time as far as doing a lot of the same roles. And I think we could cherry pick roles where they're not doing the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't deny their greatness where they are great. Yeah, no, exactly. it's just everyone. Also, but they are also overrated. Yes, too I mean. many people. Too many people keep talking about them. It's like there's plenty of other actors to be talking about. Come on now. But oh, look what De Niro's doing now. What did he do? Like uh, Little Fockers was that like well, one of the last ones he was doing? Bad Grandpa, Dirty Grandpa, that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I was it, yeah. You know, that, yes. There isn't really much he's doing anymore. I mean, he, his heyday, I think, is gone. And yeah. he's also just he's also just really annoying. You know? <laughs> he's just a really mad, know, he's, he's, he's a really mad person. Annoying. He's a mad person. He's just yeah, exactly. And in a way, like for I, I, I would right now I would take Pacino over De Niro because I feel I find that Al Pacino is just you know, I just want to do my work and that's it. You know? De Niro is a different story. Yeah. But um interesting, yeah. But yeah, I public uh, image is a lot, agree. but we're beating the dead horse with him because Yeah. I can go on and on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can I? So can I make? Can I make a comment about uh, Ben? You said something about the world being immersive. 
Are you able to can make I, the comment? Yes, can I make the comment? <laughs> can you? <laughs> yes, can I? Thank you, thank you. May I? Yes. Sorry, am I supposed to just change the question? Okay. No. no. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> so, um, this is, I think this is an appropriate spot for me to bring up one of my critiques of the film. So, oh, I have, yeah. I have some too. Okay, so I think the world is... I think I think it's immersive in in certain ways and where where it's obviously not I'll just start with that. So I think this movie being made in the middle of the 2000s it's in an interesting spot where technology and the people who are making the film are in this very weird place where they are using half practical effects and half CGI. Yes. And it's it's noticeable here. So yes. where Matthew where Matthew Vaughn has a lot of he's he's very good at making other parts of the movie very fluid, like the action. There's yeah. one particular scene at the end where we have four or five different characters sort of running to the same place. And that action is very fluid and it's a very well executed sequence. But then you look at other parts of the movie where there's CGI and practical effects and it almost doesn't make any sense. So Matthew Vaughn as a producer, I think he does it. He did. We've already discussed. He's done an excellent job casting the movie. He does a great job with specific action sequences, but then it seems as though he does not have his footing at all when it comes to mixing special effects together or picking picking certain things to fit well, in certain places. He probably yeah, got better. He probably got better by Kingsman. Cause I'm, I've seen the first one and yes. it was pretty good, but I will, That's what ag- I wanted to bring up. Too. I will agree. The CGI has not, not all of it. Some of it has not aged well at all. Only no, because no. they did not have a big budget. It's definitely driven by lack of money. And that's, okay. unfortunately that's just the way, the way she goes, Bob, uh, I don't know what to say about that. I mean, it, it's unfortunate. Well, so that's obviously, it's obviously a stumbling block. There's, for, there's a couple of jarring, for, there's a couple of jarring sequences of CGI where you're like, I would have just not had that scene. It was like a f- five to 15 second little cut scene. It's like, why even put that in the film? It doesn't look good. Yes. There's a first, there's a, the point, I think it's the, one of the first parts where we see De Niro's boat pop up. When, when he and the one with him looking out the window, yeah, it's him looking out the window. But then there's actually another shot with a boat, uh, just floating in the clouds, and and there's a few scenes I guess where that where that CGI looks better. But there's one particular scene where I was looking at it and it was just it was just it was glaring. It was awful. It looked <laughs> yeah. Vaughn yeah. and I forget Vaughn and the. I guess the head of the CGI or special effects unit, I forget his name, Asian guy, Peter Chang, Peter Chang, uh, forget. But, but he said he in the comment in the commentary, he literally said like, yeah, him and I argued all the time because I he kept wanting to do better, but he's like, I don't have the money for that. <laughs> so it definitely <laughs> was a known problem. I'm sure Matthew Vaughn's aware of it and won't he he won't admit that in an interview, but. I'm sure he's like, yeah, it's lacking. I think the action sequences when people are running or fighting with swords or the f- ending finale in that big, uh, very dark looking hall with the, where the witches, the witches lair. I think that's all great. I mean, I think that's all done very well. I just think, 
I just think they, yeah, I, I, I agree. The CGI just for some reason, in some point, I'm like, I don't even know why you use CGI here. Don't even put that <laughs> scene in. Like you can, you don't have to use it. Like look at princess bride. I mean, again, not trying to make the comparison, but they don't have CGI in it. And there's not one point in the, in that movie where you're like, this looks stupid. That looks fake. I, right. But I think that movie looks very realistic for what it is. I mean, right. so, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I think they unfortunately got the shit end of the stick on that one because if they would have, <laughs> if they would have waited and gotten probably more money and, and waited until like 2011, 2012, where the, the computer graphics just got even that much better. Disney driving that market with like all the Marvel movies. I mean, I think they would have probably knocked it out of the park in the CGI realm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just didn't mm-hmm. wait five years. They just did it. Yeah, they just did it. <laughs> they just went for it. For me, the most glaring CGI uh, mistake was the, the the first shot of seeing Dunst- young Dunstan trying to make his way out uh, across the wall. That scene with him okay. and, the, and the wall guard. That uh, it was it. You could literally see the layer. You could see like they're on one layer of uh, of CGI, and then the walls on on like the layer on top of them. It's it's so funny. I'm like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It is Other what it is. I, yeah, it is what it is. Other than that, I, I wasn't too bothered by. Um, I I also yeah. didn't. Maybe this is too much of a nitpick, but I also wasn't really feeling Michelle Pfeiffer's makeup. So when she's when she's constantly deteriorating uh-huh. and turning older, I wasn't. It was sticking out to me more as very unbelievable as opposed to something that and again this is a kids movie so i mean maybe to all the kids watching it it was good enough but mm-hmm. something that i wasn't i don't think was really worth um commending the 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 makeup didn't bother me because the two other witches the sisters don't remember their names so don't ask me I think theirs, their makeup was fine. I just think when they're trying to do that hybrid between like, oh, she's beautiful because she has this extra power, but now she's using her power, so she's getting ugly again. That like little, mm-hmm. that little like blended area. It's like, well, what or what are we gonna do today, Michelle? Like, what are we gonna like make you look, <laughs> make good look, make look good on you and make look bad on you? It's kind of a bizarre position to be in. I yeah. would. Yes, that is one of my critiques of the film. Is there's a lot of characters in this film. Like we got the seven brothers going after the gem that. Yvonne has around her neck because that's what hit her out of the sky in the first place. And you have a lot of scenes with them and all of them dying and they're all killing each other. Cause it's a really bizarre family. Apparently they all hate each other. I don't know. It's weird. And, but then when they all die, they're the ghosts form. They're, they're all happy to see each other. That's really weird, but it's, right. I love it. I love that. Um, but there's a lot of that, of those scenes and they all, the editing in this movie must've been a bear to do because I, I think the, I think the scenes with Michelle Pfeiffer were there's they used too much of her, to be honest. They should have used the in sequence, and they should have had maybe one other sequence of her moving around, getting information where you know where she goes and gets information from Ricky Gervais's fence character. Due west, you say, and you're certain he had a girl with him. Yeah, you're sure, absolutely sure, sure you're not lying. I'd cross my heart if I had one. Huh. You'd better be telling the truth, you two-faced dog. I can get you one of them. Actually, very good guard dogs. They can watch the back and the front door at the same time. Get anything you want. What are the chances of getting a Babylon candle? That one's slim. Although, I did um, know a girl once, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm a ladies' man. Who, uh, who had a sister. I think it was a woman. Oh, she was terrible. Face like a bag of frogs. Ugly frogs. Yep. Enough. But they, they kept cutting back to her way too much. I'm like, you guys are doing too much with her. 
like in in the chair in the uh, not chariot, uh, the horse and carriage. Like, why do we need to keep seeing her? I think one of the problems with this movie is they're trying to do too much with with too many characters, and some of the side characters just let them stay side characters. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I, I think that that's one thing letting it me down in, in adulthood watching this movie is like, I know a lot of movies do that better, but it doesn't bother me. I still like the movie a lot. I just definitely think if I was editing this movie and had all their, you know, all their footage, I think I could have made it a little bit better, but I don't know. I had that, the CGI was, I had that written down, uh, Chris and the, okay. I do think the time period does not make total sense because the distance that they're traveling and they're on the, they're on that fucking pirate ship for like literally days. And I'm like, dude, yeah. England is not that big. Yeah. England yeah. is not that big. Yeah. So there's, there must be some type of, you know, the, the actual, how it's laid out is not the same as our time in our world. That's the only way I can think of it because, or time and space rather in our world, it, it, in our reality is different than in this magical kingdom. Cause it wouldn't make sense that like, why are they still flying? Oh, it's another day. Why are they still flying? But as a kid, you don't notice that uh, as a, as a 10 year old, to 15 year old, you don't give a shit about that. You care about everything else. So I think making that this movie better would be make the witches a much more mysterious villain. Cause you already had the villain with Mark Strong's, character which by the way one of my favorite characters in the movie you already have him going after the star and the pendant so he's already a bad guy so make the witches kind of more mysterious and leave them out till the end and don't give us the little fake like oh you have seven you have a week until i get married tristan like you're you're (laughs) supposed to be an 18 year old girl why do you have to get married in a week like calm down but Uh (laughs) right (laughs) right 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 yeah. yeah again i think as you said, Chris, I'm nitpicking just because I've seen this movie a lot. So <laughs> it is what it is. Um, I do have Henry Cavill's character since we're talking about Victoria's Sienna Miller's character. What's it? What's Henry? Uh, Henry Cavill's Humphrey. Yeah, Humphrey. Humphrey. With, Humphrey. With, with, yeah, with, yeah. with his little like French, <laughs> French mustache. Freaking hilarious. Can I leave something at the shop? Oh, oh no, I, ju- I just thought I could. Tristan Thorn. Shop boy by day, peeping Tom by night. Is there no end to your chance? Uh, ow! Humphrey, there's no need to be like that. Be nice to the poor boy. Ah, were those for Victoria? You were always useless at fencing in school, Tristan. In fact, I'm having trouble remembering if there was anything you were good at. Humphrey, that's enough. In the in the commentary, Matthew Vaughn literally this this commentary came out on DVD. I'm assuming in 08, so it was recording in, recorded in 07. He predicted Henry Cavill being a star. He's like, yeah, Henry Cavill, great actor. He's going to be a star soon. I'm like, wow. He really said that. Yes. Oh, wow. I'm like, wow, okay. like that uh, amazing foresight right there. Like. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't know Matt in 2007, but he's pretty freaking big now. Um, <laughs> and he's bigger than Charlie Cox. He's bigger than a lot of the other people in this movie. So, yeah, yeah. that's yeah, that's yeah, that is that is good foresight. Yeah, uh, I I, I kind of have a Great. couple of random other little. Same. I only have two more things. I well, just I, actually, I will mention the the time thing or. The traveling, 
I can see someone, I'm not sure if you two saw this, but, or thought this rather, having a problem with like, oh, how do the witches just always know where Yvonne is? She's like, she's a star, but she's in human form. But how do they always know where she is? Like, they have they conveniently have those runes like all the care all the bad guys have those runes they're throwing them up in the air like all right uh is it this way is it that way you throw the runes up and it's like yes it's that way but it's yeah. like it's in these little cut sequences that if you're not paying attention if you look down at your phone for two seconds you don't even see it so you might be like wait how the hell do they know where to go yeah there's a the world building i feel like is a is good to a degree but then there's some things that would probably hold people back and saying, Oh, this is a really good movie because of just how convenient it is. And I think that's just, again, I'm, I'm going to harp back on the, on the balancing act between the novel and the movie. Like you can't include everything. So I'm assuming the book explains it better. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think you'd be wrong yeah, yeah. with that. Yeah, I, ha- I have a whole list. I have a whole list. I haven't read the book, but I have a whole list of what I've gathered is different from the book and the novel. I don't think I need to go through it, to be quite honest. It's not it's not important. I think the biggest the biggest one I want to mention and the only one I want to mention is in this movie, the magical kin- kingdom is called Stormhold. And the, yeah, you, we know that. They they say it. In the novel it's called it's called Fairy. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. That, that that's why I was like, "Oh, cuz I I saw that myself." Yes. But like so like all yeah. the people in the other fairy kingdom in the book are all called fairies. So, like, are they fairies, Neil? Tell me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have to read the book. I'm, I want to read the book now. Um, but, yeah, I, I think my last things I want to say, I, I'll let you guys finish. My last things I'm going to say is I like the themes in this book, and I I really – why I gravitate to this book – or, sorry, this book. This movie. This movie. <laughs> the, the reason I gravitate to it is because you have – Charlie Cox's Tristan character going for zero to hero. Like I always love that kind of story. I'm not sure if it's Matt Vaughn or Neil Gaiman, Gaiman, whatever. Uh, I'm not sure if this is which one it is, but the whole like, Hey, you probably shouldn't do all these stupid things to try to prove your love to somebody who doesn't love you back. I kind of, I was like, damn, that's pretty poignant for a kid's movie, but okay. Yeah, it is. I was like, cool. <laughs> Don't do stupid shit to try to fall in love. Cause if it's not there, it's yeah. not there, baby. <laughs> Yeah, love love doesn't have stipulations. Doesn't have it's it's unconditional. And I thought like yeah, that that go, that ties into like the whole it, the idea of innocence being uh, like breathing through every aspect of this film. So I like that too. Kind of Santa Miller's character sort of reminds me of Pat, um, Pat Terrell from The Big Country. Very good, uh, Carol Baker. Very <laughs> very good tie back. Uh-huh, yes. Yeah, I'm gonna make the call back only because That's she too does there. not she does not think that love is unconditional. Mm-hmm. Um she thinks it's very conditional in how yeah. prove it for me. Exactly. So Oh, you wanna marry yeah, me? Just, oh, you wanna marry me? Okay. Prove it. <laughs> so stupid. Uh, I mean it's it's really I mean, it's definitely like the Hollywood or not it's not Hollywood technically, I guess, but it's the Hollywood way of being like, All right, don't do this in your real life. I I, I kinda like that. All right, Chris. I do, I do want you to to. I'm gonna. I'm putting you on the spot. What? Okay. Tell me about, or if you can, without putting you too too much pressure, the ghosts. Like, why do you like them so much? Because I know you you do. <laughs> okay. So, yep. So that was in my notes, and I like I like the ghosts because there's a really nice camaraderie going on. Like they're all relatives. 
that they well most of them are siblings or they're all siblings they're all siblings yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're all, all siblings. siblings so there's a siblings camaraderie there but uh i can appreciate as well as the competition they, they yeah like i mean it's it's they're still competitive and they're all they're they're literally observing the siblings that are alive right and they're all slowly getting killed one by one off after the other <laughs> um so there's there's a very good natural comedic feel to the whole thing and it's i like how they're all like you see them their ghost form is how they died <laughs> is how they died yep so like there's it's a it's a really well handled comedic aspect of the movie and you almost feel like you're the you're in the audience with the ghost because you're watching what's happening i i liked i liked them they're they're a positive of the movie the way that they mm-hmm. died off one by one and then became ghosts also reminded me of who framed roger rabbit there's less commentary coming from the cartoons that die in that movie, but you sort of see it happen right away and then you see them come back as ghosts. So sort of making a very random connection to another childhood movie. I need to go back and see see the deleted scenes because I know during the commentary, Matt Vaughn was saying during like the early scene when they're in the church and like the two, the, the priest and the one brother die from poison. He said that like, yeah, that scene and the scene in the inn, like they had to do a, uh, again, we keep, I keep mentioning balancing acts this episode. They had to balance like, all right, it's supposed to be a tense moment, but like we have a little bit of common uh, comedy with the, with the dead ghost brothers. And it's like balancing that, like, all right, this is a really tense scene. Someone might die. Like this is you're in danger, but like you have that little bit of comedy at the same time. Like apparently Jane Goldman, Goldman, right? I keep saying that. Is it Goldman? Yeah, or Go- Goldman. Okay, yeah. Goldman. <laughs> uh, she wanted like she wrote so much comedy with those with those brothers. I really hope there's a deleted scene with them like doing some yeah. more comedic shit because those guys were awesome. I mean, I always I always loved them from the first time I saw this movie. Yeah, one of the highlights of uh, Stardust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would <laughs> say so. A couple bits of trivia that you probably won't get unless you own the blu-ray like i do actually that mm-hmm. that that knife that um michelle pfeiffer's character lamia she's using that knife in the end when she makes that fake in that's actually matt vaughn designed that knife for magneto for x-men 3 uh, oh wow oh, cool yeah and they use it here <laughs> they use it here and uh he's like yep don't worry i got to use it still but kind of disappointed i didn't get to do it as magneto whatever yeah uh, yeah well, I mean, Matthew Vaughn eventually gets his uh, gets his uh, chance to do an X Men film with First Class, and uh, and actually, Goldman wrote yeah, that to help write yeah. that too. Goldman wrote that too. Yeah, that was actually my second Matthew Vaughn film after uh, Kick Ass. So I, I wrongly said Kingsman, but yeah, you know, it, it was First Class, and that's actually also I think a good example of to see how how much he's grown over the years, to see how much he's honed his craft, and I think just. Um, going back to what we were saying about like editing and, and such, I think that Matthew Vaughn, I mentioned earlier that there's a, I think I did mention it earlier. There's a sort of dynamism in, in his style of directing and you get that it, it it's kind of nonstop throughout all of kick-ass Kingsman and first class. So here though, that dynamism does exist, but it, it exists in patches throughout the storytelling and throughout the editing. So Yeah. Again, yes, I would agree with that, Kevin. Those are yeah, it, those are the action sequences that work. 
Exactly. Yeah. And again, yeah. also ties back to the, to the idea of innocence, kind of breathing through the entire film. Kevin, aspect of the do film. you yeah. do you recommend? Have you seen all the Kingsman movies? I've only seen the first two. I didn't okay. see the Kingsman. I've seen the first yeah. one. I've seen the first one. How yeah. was the second one? Was it good? Like w- worth watching? I think the second one's. I think it's still worth watching, dude. Okay. I think it's still fun. I think it's still fun. Maybe not as not as good as the first one, but you know, the first one is just the typical origin story. It takes a while for him to actually get to where he needs to be. Exy, I mean. But then with the second one, you have Exy face consequences, and then you have consequences that happen uh, a lot faster than you would expect, if I remember correctly. And I think it's still a fun time. If you're, you know, if you're looking for a fun time, I think the second film is definitely there. Yeah, I, th- I, I would still recommend it. I don't know how I think about it now. It's been a while, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Chris, uh, yeah, I, it was mentioned a couple times, and then they show it. Did you like that uh, the slaughtered prince in naming convention, like the meta naming? Yes. Yeah, I, I think lot, yes. I, if you were able to pause it, which I know you didn't since you watched the movie next time, or maybe go back and look right now or whenever you have a free chance, look, pause it. It's supposed to be Peter O'Toole, like the painting on the side of the building. <laughs> so it's just kind of really, yeah. Oh, which is, is it? Which wow. is kind of cool. Yeah. Peter O'Toole. They had, they had him for that one. He's in the, the movie as the he's in the, on the bed in the one scene. The dying, yeah. He's, yeah, they, the di- he's a dying King. Yeah. They, they had him for eight hours. They're like, that's all it took. Just, Eight hours. Yeah. I'm like again. Like, oh, how, up. We gotta get this guy's. <laughs> how much do you pay these people for a day of work? Like, here's fifty it's grand. Amazing, like, dude. thanks. <laughs> it's amazing to think about. Yeah, man. Yeah, but they said that he was like super professional. He would practice his lines with like the other actors. Like he wasn't like above them, which is I thought really cool because he's been in so many so many freaking movies. He but he didn't Peter pull the O'Toole, Marlon Brando man. school of acting. Okay, that's a good thing to hear. <laughs> Freaking Marlon Brando. <laughs> I thought he was your favorite, Kevin. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I no. like him. No. No. But no. no. <laughs> well, I'm done. Uh, if you guys have anything else for this movie, uh, if not, no, say something. I, if not, three quick things. Go ahead. I want to give a shout out to David Kelly, the guy, the old man who guards the wall. Kung Fu, He's, baby. Uh, you like that Kung Fu? He, <laughs> that yeah. threw me off. I forgot to say. <laughs> they were going to have him reading a Kung Fu manual in the shot, but they didn't do it. I was, I was like, damn it. Oh, I want that. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. David Kelly that. is hilarious. And the other movie that I really know him from is Waking Ned Divine. So anybody listening, highly recommended. St. Patty's Day is around the corner, and it's an excellent Irish film. So... Oh, totally, okay. totally a recommend. But that's where I know David Kelly from. And it was awesome to see him here. Um, the other quick thing I want to mention is Mark Williams as Billy the goat. I love that guy. Awesome. <laughs> awesome little comedic role for him. Is he, he, is, he is, is, is Mark Williams the guy who plays the Weasley's dad? Yes. I, uh, same guy. Yeah, he is. He is. I'm just yeah, putting that together. I didn't look that up, people. I'm not. That's him. I'm good. Yes, it's, the same, it's the same guy. Oh, I and love the third that. I, thing. I love when he touches the, the antlers on the wall. Like he's a ghost. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so great. The the third thing I want to add is or mention is it's around the 50 minute mark or the 51 minute mark, and there's a scene about massages, but because they're British or have accents or whatever, oh. they, they say massage. So <laughs> massage. So this is a perfectly good opportunity to play a soundbite of it. I'm only a simple innkeeper's wife, but I've been told I have a healer's hands. 
<laughs> I'd be glad to give you a massage. What a massage? Never had. Bless my soul. Nothing like a massage to send you off for the finest and deepest night's sleep. I do have trouble sleeping at night. Lie on your back, dear. It was like it kept saying like massage or something. It was very. I think massage. it. I think it was massage. the. Was it not ma massage? Massage. Yeah, massage. I think it's the French way massage. to say it. Okay, so. But like, so this, this movie, noticeable. this movie did come out like, or when I say come out, it was supposed to be around like 1850, and I was looking up like massages became popular like in 1790. So. <laughs> it was like, oh, the new massage. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's some made up shit. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta put the new trends in for the time. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I had to say. Those were the last few notes I had. What's the uh, verdict on this one? So I'm going to rate Stardust a three out of five. I think it's a solid little film, and I can totally see why it's enjoyable and something that you would return to, Ben. Um, it's got some really great moments. I think the pros of the movie, for sure are well so it's it's bittersweet or a double-edged sword however you want to call it whatever you want to call it matthew vaughn is clearly showing his strengths as a producer and then he's also showing where he fell short so it's got its pros and its cons that way specifically just coming from him and then everything else there's little things that we highlighted that sort of make the film pretty great um and then i think the most glaring issue is the fluidity or the, the lack of fluidity between the CGI and the practical effects. Fair enough. Yep. I totally agree with everything that Chris said. It's a three out of five for me too. So um, six out of 10. Solid. So Ben, where does that leave yeah. you with, with nostalgia yeah. floating in the ether so and I had, your yeah. love for the movie? How did, how did it feel returning to it after a while of not seeing it? So, Returning to it for a while, from it, you know, it's been, let's just say a decade. I think that's pretty close. I still enjoyed it a lot. And the reason I bought it, because I was like, hey, I remember liking that as when I was younger, you know, I'd like to have, I'd like to own that copy of that. I'm definitely going to be showing this to my kids. I mean, do you think it would be good for a 10 year old? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So that's, that's kind of the reason why I, I want to own it. And it's definitely. I have fond memories of watching this movie with my brothers, my three brothers. So definitely high on my list. I have it rated as a 10 out of 10 on letterbox. I that's, that's a, that's a memory rating people like not at all accurate. <laughs> I'm going to go with a nine. Yeah. I'm going to go with a nine. Uh, I, I was, I was thinking about oh, an, a nine. Okay. I, I was thinking about an eight, but I'm going to bump it up to a nine because of my favoritism. So that leaves it at a, the searcher scores <laughs> is a seven out of 10, which is, that's respect, respectable. Right. I bumped it up a bit with my average, but yeah, you no, win some. You win yeah, some, you lose great, some. That's a great film. Yeah, it's the way she goes. <laughs> the way she goes. Seven is a seven is a great film for all, you know, in the grand scheme of things, in the yeah. overall rating. So I I, I do want to say I I think the movie is for the time that it came out. I think that it's very much impressive that it wasn't like somehow political like one of the first ones to, to make some kind of political stoop it was it was oh yeah it was course. just supposed it was to be fantasy it was supposed to be entertaining and yeah, that's it's strictly entertaining it, strictly fantasy there you and go a pure innocent and a pure innocent romance and and so. don't be an asshole when you're in a relationship boom yeah uh -huh. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> exactly so yeah. mm -hmm. all right well with that 
Go watch the Super Bowl. That's when we're recording this right now. And I think they're, these guys are a little <laughs> uh, distracted now because something's happening. Patriots suck. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. I can, I can say it now. <laughs> Them's fighting words. <laughs> ah, whatever. Don't piss off Chris there, Benji. Connecticut Christopher. Don't piss off the Chris, man. The alliteration. Yeah. Yes. Uh, all right. Well. All right, guys. Hey, um, I, I, hey, I don't like Tom Brady as a person, but he is the best quarterback of all time. You heard me say it here. There you go. There we go. Which is very, Put which is a very, very, very name. fair thing to say. Yeah. Very, very, very fair. Very fair. I, yeah. I, I, ne- I would never say that until he won with the. He Tampa left Giselle for he. With he the left Bucks. For football. I can't do that. No, fuck football. Yeah, last last year's been <laughs> last year's been a hot mess. Last year's been a hot mess for, oh, for my boy Tom yeah, Brady. Tom Brady lost like eight hundred mil or uh, some uh, ridiculous uh, amount of money. Tom, just give me a million. Come on, man. Damn. There are some people who say that he is still the winner because of the twenty six year old he's dating, but I think that's that's not really that's is, super, he really, you know, is he is he really dating a a, a really hot twenty six year old? It's perfect that we're a, talking about. I think this. a twenty six year old uh, TikTok model, I believe, is the. Or an influencer. Oh, so, so that I think is it's the true. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought, yeah. I thought it was just a. Uh, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. No, but he basically well, left his family for more football for one extra year of football and um and a twenty six year old model. Yeah. Uh, that's there's more to the story. There's some more other deep seated. There's issues. definitely more to it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Probably like de- a decade it or is two. Still of... sad as hell though. Hey. Yeah. Lo- is. Love is unconditional, baby. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> I love how this is tying in. This is really tying Boom. in perfectly, ain't it? <laughs> All right, <laughs> go watch football, you scumbags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Later, guys. guys. Thanks for listening to the Searchers Podcast. If you want to hear more of our thoughts on movies, you can find us on Letterboxd. Ben at Giant13, Chris at Ziglet underscore Murr, and me at Kevin Chan. Find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and on searchersfilmpodcast.podbean.com. Until next time, people.